Welcome to season three of the Surrender Podcast. I'm Craig Petty. And I'm Charlene De Los Santos. Together, we're the directors of Surrender, a collective of people and organizations carrying a message to motivate, support, and equip us to live out the radical call of Jesus amongst the margins. In this podcast, we're providing a platform for conversation and storytelling, as we hear from some friends who embody this message. While we might not always agree with everything we hear from one another, what we desperately want to do is create a space to listen and to learn and to find Jesus in the centre of it all. To kick off this season, we've asked Pastor Ray Minicon and Dave Andrews to join us. Both have been friends of Surrender and friends of each other for a long time. Pastor Ray Minikin is a descendant of the Gubby Gubby Nation and the Gurangurang Nation of Southeast Queensland. Pastor Ray is also a descendant of the South Sea Islander people with deep and abiding connections to the people of Ambrim Island. Pastor Ray is an honorary pastor at St. John's Scartree Ministry in Glebe in Sydney, is a resource worker for the Uniting Aboriginal and Islander Christian Congress and director of Bungie Consultancies. Pastor Ray has a BA in theology from Murdoch University and assisted in the establishment of Aboriginal studies and employment programs at that university. Dave Andrews, his wife Ange and their family have lived and worked in intentional communities with marginalised groups of people in Australia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India and Nepal over more than 40 years. He now lives in a large joint household with his wife, children, grandchildren and others in an inner city community in Brisbane. Dave is particularly interested in radical spirituality, incarnational community, and the dynamics of personal and social transformation. Hi, Uncle Ray and Dave. Thanks so much for joining us for the Surrender Podcast. Maybe just to go around, Uncle Ray and Dave, uh, which land are you currently on at the moment? Uh, I'm I'm based in Brisbane, which is um, referred to as Mianjin, and uh, in my part of Brisbane, it's uh, Jugular Land. Um, I'm living in West End in um, South Brisbane, uh, which is part of the Kurilpa area. Great, thanks, and Uncle Ray. I'm living on the unceded territories of the Gadigal people here in Glebe in Sydney, and. Uh, as you know, in, in French, glebe means land that's been gifted to the church. And so I'm living on the land that's been was gifted to the first priest that uh, entered into onto these shores. So what's his name? Uh, Richard Johnson. So he was given 400 acres of Gadigal country when he arrived here. Okay. What a gift. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, and I attend the St. John's Anglican Church here in Glebe which is on Gadigal country, part of that 400 mm. acres of uh, gifting. Fascinating, isn't it? Mm, very. <laughs> Fascinating. I'm here on Wurundjeri land. Great, and so am I um, on Wurundjeri land. So we just wanted to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging um, and it's been a real gift in the Surrender community to be able to actually journey alongside uh, many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders. So it's a real privilege yeah, for us to be part of this community. 
Yeah, there's been so many voices and I guess we've tried to use this platform that we've had uh, particularly to amplify voices from the margins and model some ways of actually listening and coming together um, in our gatherings. And I guess when we've shared the heartbeat of Surrender, the next question then is, well, Charlene, what is the margins? Who are the marginalised? So I guess that's what I wanted to explore today when we say the word margins or marginalised, what does that mean for you? First of all, just let me say one thing, that uh, Surrender was the first space and place that gave Aboriginal people a national platform to speak. And, and mm. that needs to be, needs to be uh, something that I think uh, Surrender should, should you know, speak up, up about. Because denominational platforms, we don't even get a look in the door. We don't even know where the door is. We don't even find the door. <laughs> and we give up trying to find it, find, look for the door. Uh, because it's, it, it's, it's not there. It's not available for us. Yeah, so it was the first time, I think, that the church or those Christians who came to these, these sites were we're able to actually engage with the Aboriginal voice. And that, that's, that's a yep. good thing. And you're still stuck with that. Uh, there, I, I don't think it's changed that much. I haven't been, I haven't seen any other national platforms where the Indigenous voice is encouraged and invited and actually given the space and, t- and the time to actually speak. I agree, Ray. I think it's highly significant. And, and I think that has had a, a huge influence on hmm. uh, surrender and the people that come to surrender and the, and the conversations that have emerged out of those gatherings. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, sorry to cut you off, Dave, but I think um, one of the great things is actually not just talking about issues, but talking with people and running yes, as a exactly. tribe together. Exactly. And so I wonder if for some of our listeners, Uncle Ray, you could just uh, describe what that's like for you to have a place where your voice is heard, welcomed, listened to? For me personally, yeah. I mean, you, you, you're always wanting to make sure that uh, as, as a family of, of our creator, of God, who all worship the same person, this person called Jesus, there's something about trying to break down those barriers. Mm. And, and, you know, there's, there's a number of... When you've got a barrier, you've got two sides. Here's one side trying to break down the barriers, and the other side there is trying to keep pushing the barriers and making them harder. And so when you see a, um, a breach in those barriers from the other side, then uh, that's, that's to be welcomed. Mm. Uh, I could easily have said, well, see you later. I don't want to be a part of this. And a lot of our Aboriginal people could have said that too. But because of our graciousness and our opportunities to actually know that we have uh, um, we have the same we're worshiping the same person, mm. the same God. Mm. Um, to, to us, it's more about how do we educate the other side rather than who we are in Christ. Mm. Yeah, thank you. When I think about um, what we're talking about as people marginalised, uh, I think what Ray's saying is really clear about the way Aboriginal people in our history have been marginalised and continue to be marginalised, not only by the state, 
uh, by by the church, and well, the church has often been an instrument of the state in that marginalisation. Mm. And um, when I think uh, of of scriptures that inform my understanding of the importance of placing a priority on those people that we have marginalised, I'm, I'm constantly taken back to Matthew 25 and the call to to um, realize that on on the day of judgment uh, we're going to be judged uh, not on the basis of uh, how much we've said our prayers or read the bible or gathered together for worship events but but on how we have treated those in and around our society that most of us consider least to this to such a degree that they have fundamental unmet needs. They're either hungry or thirsty or lonely or imprisoned or sick or strangers, maybe even not only coming from overseas, but maybe strangers even in their own land and are completely alienated and alone. And, and, and Jesus is saying, look, your concern for the people that most people consider least is so important that on the day of judgment, that will be the criteria that will be used to judge you. Um, now, a lot of Christians get upset about that. They say, aren't we saved by grace, not by works? But it seems to me that Jesus is saying here, if you know anything at all about grace, you'll realise it, it, it involves not only experiencing God's grace for yourself, but extending God's grace to others and reaching out to other people who've been treated disgracefully. Um, and I see that as the central message uh, that uh, surrender uh, articulates. And, and I think what Ray is saying is, is not, not only talking about it, but actually uh, embodying it by the way that they include people who are often uh, marginalised and uh, give them a, an honoured space in the gatherings where they speak and they're not just spoken to. And I think that that is really crucial. I mean, it is a significant contribution that surrender makes. I mean, might I also say that I do a lot of interfaith work with people of other traditions and religions. And um, often Christians uh, who are proud of the superior of the superiority of their own religion are very dismissive of people of other traditions and other religions. And uh, since 9-11 have been particularly um, suspicious of, of, of Muslim people. But I mean, I was able to come to surrender and bring a Muslim colleague along and to talk about um, how we encourage each other to live um, the Beatitudes of Jesus um, as Christians and Muslims together. And uh, uh, surrender was one of the few places that I could bring a Muslim friend uh, to actually and be invited to speak with them uh, to other Christians and to be heard and taken seriously. In fact, Nora's um, mm. comment to me afterwards is, oh, surrender. That's what the word Islam means. It means to mm. surrender to God. And so this is, uh, I feel particularly at home in this place. This is, what, this is the essence of Islam. So uh, uh, I'm not sure how many of your supporters would uh, see surrender like that, but uh, it was lovely to see the way she resonated with that spirituality of, of devotion to God and desire to live according to God's will. 
that mm. surrender actually embodied. I mean, I I think Dave going to the margins and um, having relationships with people like you are describing changes us in the process, right? Have you got oh, some sure. reflections on um, what that experience has been like for you on this long journey? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, before um, I actually was uh, encouraged to reach out to people and embrace people on the margins, I had a very comfortable faith where the issues were clear and I had a, a, a great degree of confidence in my own righteousness. And uh, once I began to be open to Christ's call to reach out to people on the margins, I was confronted with my own complicity in their oppression. Mm. Uh, that all of a sudden made uh, all my righteousness as filthy rags, as it says in the, in the, in the Bible. Um, and that was very confronting. I mean, um, it's easier to maintain an illusion about how saintly we are um, until we're immersed in the mess and the chaos of people's lives and um, and have to struggle with the issues that they're struggling with. I remember when we first went to Afghanistan and became a part of a community called uh, Dilram and uh, we were working with um, um, rehab uh, for um, uh, young people who'd got addicted and, uh, and one of the first people that came to the house had terrible tuberculosis and terror, lots of nits and and uh, one of my wife's first tasks was to try and clean their hair and all the kind of uh, nits and fleas kind of migrated from their hair to hers and automatic, automatically then you're immersed in <laughs> the, the the reality of the flea bitten uh, nature of it that particular guy um, was so sick he couldn't go through withdrawals on drugs i had really serious DB. And if he'd uh, gone through withdrawals, he would have died. So one of my tasks to begin with when I joined that community involved in rehab was to be sent down to, um, to Kabul, to Chicken Street, to buy heroin, to give him a fix. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we had to give him a fix to keep him alive long enough so he could get better. Mm. So then he could go through withdrawals. Now, mm. I mean, coming from a straight... Christian family and a Baptist church. That, that would have been inconceivable that as part of my reaching out to people, my dear wife's would, uh, hair would be infested with fleas and I'd be going downtown doing deals to get heroin to, for chunks to shoot up in our home. Well, it was meant to be a place for rehab. I mean, so they're the complexities. Aren't they? mm -hmm. uh, immediately you're immersed in those complexities, driven by the love of Christ to reach out, but in the midst of the chaos and mess going, I'm not sure. How <laughs> well, this works out. I just want to find some way of responding the best I can, but never been sure you can get it right anymore. Mm. What a great picture. What a great picture of what we're mm. talking about. Mm. Sorry, Charlene, I'm off script. Here. Oh, that's <laughs> okay. No, that's fine. Uncle Ray, any uh, reflections on, I guess, the margins? And um, you talked about some of the barriers and uh, power struggles, it sounded like, um, as well. When you're talking about 
this language called margins, you've got to ask the question, where's the center? Exactly. And if you can identify what the center is and why there is marginalization, then that would then be a much more better conversation, a much more stronger conversation. And the reasons why uh, an an organization comes into play like to, to try to bridge those uh, those those gaps between those margins mm. but you know for me uh, i'm in the center of my universe so you guys are on my margins you're not yep. part of my center yep. and so how, how then do you identify what is the center and i think for, as as uh, followers of the jesus way the center is jesus mm. so if jesus is the center then we're all marginalized Mm. every one of us in in our own separate ways we're all on the margins whether we're in the baptist church or the anglican church or the catholic church they're they're mm. they're marginalized in the center <laughs> and we have never have ever actually brought that kind of concept into our theological thinking or even in our christian practices mm-hmm. uh, and so when you're talking about marginalized people, you, you have to then ask the other question, uh, am I racist? Because that's what it is. And that's not what the Jesus way is about. And so uh, if we're talking about these kind of issues that I don't like that kind of person because of his color or his religion, then we're talking about our own personal biases, even as followers of Jesus. So if the if the center is Jesus, then we're we're so far far off the mark that it's we're all on the margins. If we can all put ourselves out that way, then perhaps we can have a much more better conversation around these issues and see how uh, the theme that you've got that you've turned it now into an organisation called Surrender. The theme is much more stronger than the center than than, than the organisation, and you've got to realise that. It's much more powerful than the organization. And sometimes when you get these things into a a construct like that, it loses the power of its intention and the spirit of its, of its intent. Mm. And so you've got to be very careful about that Mm. uh, in terms of the ways in which you look at it. Mm. So if Christ is the center of the surrender, Mm then we're all on the margins and you can invite us all into, into this to talk from our margins. Mm. Um, um, that, that's the way I would look at it. I know because there was one time I took the theme of surrender and said, let's have a surrender in the desert. Mm. And we did that a couple of years back. Um, I'd, I'd like to see a surrender in, um, in the South Pacific, because they, they're facing so many challenges and so many issues there. And how do we then get the conversation about those people who are on those kind of margins, whether it be climate change or whether it be some other kind of challenges that they face? So, yeah, uh, Christ is the centre. Hmm. We're on the margins. I think and, what... Uh, sorry, Ray, do you want to finish that? Yeah, I mean... Uh, I remember going to one of those Bible studies that Dave conducted and he spoke about the barriers in Ephesians 2 there. And that was the first time I heard a, heard, a, heard a, those kind of challenges from a white fella. Mm. 
because most white fellows who come to us want to say, well, you're a sinner. You need to come here, say the sinner's prayer and get converted. Praise the Lord. I've done it. Now what's next? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing next. There is no next. <laughs> And so we're left high and dry. <laughs> so I think uh, what Ray's saying there about Christ being the centre is exactly the issue that, that we've got society that is actually saying this is the centre and everybody needs to be drawn to this uh, centre of the imperial colonial project, uh, mm -hmm. of which the church is a supporter. Mm -hmm. uh, the mainline church is a supporter. And surrender is actually saying... Uh, or, or echo, echoing what uh, Ray's saying here, is that, hang on, no, Christ is the centre, which, of course, then relativizes all our commitments to existing uh, requirements and saying, okay, no, now we have to see everything in the light of what this means in terms of commitment to Christ. Mm. And, um, and, yeah, that's what I wrote about, about in my book, Christianity, where, where I tried to advocate uh, a, a Christ-centred set uh, mm. over against the close uh, uh, set. Um, and I think that is a crucial dynamic for changing the whole conversation. So because uh, then, as, as Ray is saying, the irony then is that the people that are considered marginalised in, in, uh, in uh, the dominant political economy may be at the centre. Uh, and the people that are at the centre of the political economy may be marginalised. It all depends on where they are in relation to uh, Christ and the call uh, to be Christ-like. Um, and that then really challenges a whole lot of our categories, uh, I think, mm -hmm. um, and that's a really important conversation. Mm. And what do you reckon, I guess, for the wider church, what are some barriers then in this Flipping it a little bit, I guess, of what we center our lives on, looking at Jesus as the center. What are some barriers for us in following Christ? Shall I go, uh, Ray? And then yeah, you go for it, mate. Um, that's all right. Okay, for me, uh, Paul says in Philippians, "Have this mind in you uh, that was in Christ Jesus, for he who had always been." God by nature did not hang on to his prerogatives as God's equal, but stripped himself of all privilege, emptied himself, made himself nothing in order to be born by nature as a mortal. And having been born as a human being, he humbled himself, living the life of a slave, a life of utter obedience, even unto death. And the death he died on the cross was the death of common criminal. Now, to me, that is the challenge. For the church the church is to have the mind of christ not the not the mindset of uh christendom and i think the mind of christ subverts all structures not just secular structures but religious structures because it the the if we're going to have the mind of christ then we need to be like christ to to empty ourselves of our privilege, our power, our position, our plans. And like Christ, we need to enter into the community around us, not different from them, but like them, as one of them, as Christ said. And, and, and not 
run agendas for them, but actually seek to find ways to, to serve them, like it says Christ did. And not just when it was easy or nice or convenient or comfortable, uh, but when it was difficult and painful. And, and to me, that, that I found that the greatest chance for me when I'm speaking at churches is for people to um, be open to that kind of radical message. Uh, they want to run programs for poor people uh, that they get funding for from the government and that they hire professionals to do on their behalf and then, then they can fly the flag over. You know, this is what our church is doing. But, but what Paul's saying is, no, don't do that. What you need to do is be converted to become fully Christ-like and to set aside your privilege and your power and enter into the life of the people around about you as one of them, as a neighbour and into their into their pain and in the context of the pain struggle to find ways to serve them that bring life in the midst of death even if it brings death to you and that that is the challenging message of the gospel um and in fact i can remember speaking about that at, at the baptist theological college in my home state and the, the students rebelled and said but if we do that who will be left to preach the gospel i'm going that is the gospel. <laughs> We're meant to embody the love of God in Christ in radical ways that call us to join in the struggle of the people around about us, that extends God's grace in the midst of the disgrace, that helps them to believe that the, reality, that the God who is there really cares for them. And that's the challenge. And the challenge for me is to has been to work with churches. I've never opted out of working with churches. I've stayed. <laughs> in connection with churches. I mean, I'm being kicked out of many churches, but I've never opted out of churches. And But my challenge has been to stay with churches and help my brothers and sisters in mainline traditional churches find ways to be open to this, this the challenge of this message and to find ways that they can work towards experiencing that and embodying that in, in, the, in the context in which they're located. Mm. It's huge, isn't it? Because it requires rethinking not just one thing, but everything to put Christ back in the center. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's very confronting. Mm. Uh, well, and, and uh, to use our, our evangelical language, it's to realize we actually need to be converted again and again and again, but, mm. you know, at a deeper and deeper levels, mm. personally, socially, culturally, politically, you know, economically. Mm. Uh, let me talk to, talk, to, talk to you about some of the barriers that I see from my perspective, okay? Go for it. I'm going to give you the three Ds, doctrine, dogma, denominations. They're, they're the major barriers mm -hmm. to surrendering to Christ's authority because uh, as I have noted in my relationships with all these denominations that Every denomination has two Bibles. They have the scriptures, but then they've got their constitutions. And in most cases, it's the constitution that determines the law or the way in which they, they behave themselves and act out their theology, not the scriptures. They use the scriptures to reinforce 
their own constitutional powers and their own constitutional ways. And that's with every denomination. No denomination is excused from that. And so they're the barriers, from my perspective, that has to be broken down. Now, how you do that is not up to me. I can only speak into it. And, you know, I'm working with one of the, uh, with an Anglican church here, and goodness gracious me, uh, you know, the laws that govern it are quite extraordinary. I work with the Uniting Church. I even offered my services as a minister, but I didn't qualify. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, because of the barriers. Mm. And yep. so they set their own barriers. Mm. And they're the barriers you're always dealing with. Mm. And they're your dogmas, your doctrines, and your denominational constitutions. If you can get through those barriers there, you might be able to see Jesus in a different radical light. I doubt if you will, because we love that. Mm. That kind of stuff gives us safety, security, mm. and all of those kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah, sure. If we went into the scriptures, then we have to be a little bit more, how would you say, uh, uh, I wouldn't say radical, but exposed Mm. to something that is much more greater than ourselves that we cannot control. Mm. And that's where the, the true surrender comes into, in, into play when you actually get into those kind of situations where there is no doctrines, there's no dogmas, there's no other Bibles like a constitution that guides my thinking and my theology. Uh, in, and I can then engage with this message of Jesus. For Aboriginal people, the message is not the problem. We have the highest number of people who identify with the Christian religion in this country, over mm -hmm. 70%. Mm -hmm. So the message is not the problem, but the messenger has got huge, big challenges mm -hmm. and big problems, mm -hmm. which they have not yet dealt with, and I doubt if they ever will. Mm -hmm. Take, for example... The process that we're going through is with, with Aboriginal people at this, this time, this notion of reconciliation. Now, I'm glad you didn't call yourselves reconciliation. That would have been the worst thing you could ever do. <laughs> <laughs> See, for us Aboriginal people, we have problems with the ways in which that was brought into play. When oh, you think about it, shocking. it came out of, get this, it, the whole reconciliation concept came out of the Royal Commission of the Black Deaths in Custody. It didn't come from the church or from the scriptures. It came out of this political process. And some afterthought within that, uh, within that uh, Royal Commission, um, uh, and you had a, two priests in there who, who, who were, were the head of that, they thought, oh, okay, we'll, we'll implement the reconciliation process now. Uh, <laughs> And suddenly the church is left without its, its mandate because it's got the responsibility of the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation, according to the scriptures. Anyway, it's according to Paul, but by the by. And so when that came into play, I, churches were coming to us and saying, well, let's talk about reconciliation. Well, hang on a sec. You know, we have a problem with that. What are we reconciling to? We've never had a relationship in the first place. 
And if you want to reconcile back to that kind of process, I was brought up before 1967. I know what I went through. I know what mm. my parents went through. So I don't want to, I, I have no intention of going back to that. Mm. But it seemed like that's what the community wanted, a reconciliatory process where the old ways were still, you know, the white Australia policy and all that kind of stuff was back in play again. Mm. And it still seems like that today. Mm. And the second thing was the, or whatever, was the fact that we had problems with these, these issues of de denominations. You know, Baptists don't get on with Anglicans, don't get on with Pentecostals, don't get on with Catholics. How do you expect me to look at you fellas and say you, got, you, you, you want to talk about reconciliation when you don't get on with each other <laughs> and you've got the same Bible and you've got the same God and all this kind of stuff, which Jesus is the best Jesus. <laughs> and exactly. he becomes a commodity in the open marketplace mm. on the free market system in the, in the market economy that's mm. what it is right now that's what it is mm. we have commodified the gospel in such a way mm. that people now have a choice as to which one they're gonna which which one they're gonna receive mm. and go along with this is your problem you've got to you've got to you've got to go to the root cause of the problem hmm. and then we can probably talk about reconciliation in a much more realistic way we could probably talk about surrender in a much more deeper way too but until these issues are resolved in our own thinking in our own mind and we can deconstruct that in so many different ways um and we can give it all that different wonderful language you know decolonization and all those all that kind of stuff we can talk about all those big words it's meaningless to me unless I can see some kind of constructive outcome that will bring that to play. You try, for example, to try to deconstruct the Anglican Diocese of Sydney to, to accept this kind of process. Goodness me, try to get that through Synod. Goodness gracious me. Or any of those kind of powers, levels of power. Hmm. You've got Buckley's. <laughs> So reconciliation is the key to it all because that's what Jesus came and did and, and, and did, but he's on the margins, not us. We've stuck him out there. Mm. And if we're going to talk about marginalization, let's go outside there. Yes, to him. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. where we put him. <laughs> and let's go and reconcile our differences with him first. And with his message and with all of his methodologies and with all that he has achieved, if we can do that, we might be able to walk this pathway together in a much more enriching way. Mm. But you can see that that's, that's a huge, big challenge for anyone to grasp. So when you're talking margins, remember the language that you're using and then where you are in the center of that language, mm. because I'm not on the margins. I refuse to be there. And you might want to put me there, but I can say, yeah, fine. Yeah, that's your language. That's your ways in which you want to exclude me or marginalize me. I'm fantastic. <laughs> but just leave me alone because I don't want to come in out of my margin into a, another margin, which puts barriers around me and puts these other kinds of things around me that helps me to become much more marginalized from the person that I want to have a relationship with.
Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it is, it's a big issue. Reconciliation and all that kind of stuff is. Yet to me, personally, reconciliation is the most important issue on our global agenda today. It is the most important. It goes beyond all the other things, including climate crisis, because we're not reconciled to each other. Mm. We're not reconciled to our creator. We're not even reconciled to his creation. So in a sense, we, the human beings on this planet, are the most marginalized from our creator. And if we can see the cross as bridging that, those margins, then we might start to think much more theologically about what Jesus has done and achieved for us and break down some of the barriers in our own minds and in our own systems and structures. Hmm. Thus endeth the lesson. Very good. <laughs> There's so much to think about there. So much to think about. Hey, thanks for listening to the first part of this conversation. So join us next week for more from our time with Uncle Ray and Dave. We'd encourage everyone to spend some time considering what we've just heard. What have you seen? What have you noticed? What have you surrendered? Surrender partners with dozens of organizations and hundreds of initiatives. Find them and take action at surrender.org.au.